What has happened to a nation that used to fear the Lord? To a people whose foundation was built upon God's word. We've allowed the world's opinion to chart a different way. But it's time the church of Jesus Christ should boldly stand and say, God's word will stand against the raging tide of those who criticize and work their evil plans. God's word will stand against the gates of hell with power to prevail in the hearts of men. God's word will stand. They can take it from the courthouse walls, remove it from the schools, teach our children that we're animals, speak against the golden rule, try and hide our Christian heritage from the public eye, but they'll never overcome God's word, no matter how they try, God's word will stand against the raging tide of those who criticize and work their against the gates of hell with power to prevail in the hearts of men God's word will stand it is forever settled to evermore endure is the only way a sinner's heart could ever be Against the raging tide of those who criticize and work their evil plans, God's word will stand against the gates of hell with power to prevail in the hearts of men, God's word will stand, God's word will stand. Thank you. That's, we're going to get started, all right? Let's take our Bibles, turn over to the book of 1 Timothy. That, that song is spot on with my message. We're going to get kick-started right now. Ladies, if you could sing maybe tonight or next week, that'll be fine. We'll add you to the list. But, man, that I, can't, I cannot jump, not jump right up right now. 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'm telling you, spot on. Wait till you read the text with me. You're going to be amazed. Watch this. We didn't plan that either, by the way. This is not planned. I'm just amazed how God puts things together, you know? You just will be like, you kidding me? Anyway, 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 17. We're going to read through verse 21. <clears throat> 
The Bible says, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good and that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. Watch now. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. Well, i tell you something. I, I, I can't believe that song was just sung because we're going to talk about science falsely so-called. I mean to tell you, he's being warned now, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called, which some professing have heard concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. Now, I found myself intrigued this week by an article that I read from Newsweek. It was entitled, Two Billion Years Ago, Up to 99% of the Earth, uh, a percent of life on Earth died. Now, I want to read the article to you. It was written on September the 2nd, 2019, so it was just written. It goes like this. Scientists have discovered a mass die-off that took place 2 billion years ago with up to 99.5% of the Earth uh, of life on Earth disappearing. The massive die-off saw more, than the planets, uh, more of the planet's biosphere vanish than when the dinosaurs were wiped off the face of the planet 65 million years ago, researchers say. Normally... Massive die-off events can be traced through the fossil record. Animals exist, then they do not. However, in times before complex life existed, understanding these events becomes more difficult. The microorganisms that made up the planet's biota, which biota means the animal and plant life of, particular reg- of a particular region or habit, habitat or geological period. That means nothing to most of us. But anyway, the planet's biota cannot be traced in the same way. You can't just do it the same way, not when you get back that far. In a study published in Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences of the United States of America, an international team of scientists examined rocks from uh, Hudson Bay, Canada, uh, that would have formed billions of years ago. They were looking at uh, barite, uh, barite or barite, a mineral that holds information about how much oxygen was in the atmosphere at a given time. From these rocks, the team was able to show that there was a massive drop in the level of life on Earth 2.5 billion years ago. This coincides with major changes to the oxygen levels on the planet prior to the die-off about 2.4 billion years ago. Uh, Excuse me, uh, let, let me read that statement again. This coincides with major changes to the oxygen levels on the planet prior to the die-off. About 2.4 billion years ago, there was a massive surge in the amount of oxygen in the atmosphere. I, I still read that wrong. At the end of this event, which is known as the Great Oxidation Event, oxygen levels fell dramatically. Researchers say conditions for life on Earth went from feast to famine, and that these conditions persist for, uh, persisted about... Uh, about one billion years. Um, I'm going to stop with the article in just a second. I have a statement. Um, can we agree that forecasting conditions on Earth 2.5 billion years ago is pure speculation? Yeah. I mean, can, can we at least acknowledge this? I, we were very surprised 
Study author Peter uh, Crockford uh, from Israel's Wiseman Institute of Science and Princeton University told Newsweek, we didn't expect to see such a large signal, nor did we expect to find it in this specific type of sample. I, I do want to go back to the sample real quick. He, he, they mentioned that the, um, they, they examined rocks from Hudson Bay, Canada, that would have formed billions of years ago. How do they know that? We just run to Hudson Bay. Oh, you want some rocks that are billions of years old? Run to Hudson Bay. I, I don't get it even that. I, I mean, they're not explaining something to me here. But anyway, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, he goes on to say, over the 100 to 2 million years before this die-off event, there was a large amount of life on the planet. But after this event, a huge portion died off. However, instead of recovering like more recent mass extinctions, the amount of life on the planet or size of the biosphere stayed small for the following billion years of Earth's history, about 2 billion to 1 billion years ago. He continued, from our estimates, it could be anywhere between about 99.5% to 80% of life on the planet died off around 2 billion years ago. To put that in perspective, the mass extinction event of the dinosaurs saw about three-quarters of life on Earth disappear, while the great dying event, the biggest known mass extinction, resulted in the loss of around 70% of terrestrial life and 96% of ocean dwellers. The findings, the team says, provide support for the idea of an oxygen overshoot, a theory that says photosynthesis and weathering produced a mass amount of oxygen that spurred the development of life on Earth. However, the oxygen-emitting organisms on Earth were then so abundant, they exhausted their nutrient supply and numbers fell. Watch your carbon footprint, by the way. Crockford said their discovery could give an insight, watch this, could give an insight into how Earth will change in the future. Just like two billion years ago, the biosphere today, including us, relies on the base of the food chain. Today, that is microorganisms in the ocean and plants on land. Although oxygen levels will likely never change at a pace fast enough to a level significant enough for humans to take much notice, they could absolutely change over the next billion years. I don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. (laughs) He also said he believes... There are probably, you hear hear all these terms that are getting thrown around? There are probably far more major die-off events and mass extinctions that we do not yet know about. Quote, the problem is that the geologic record gets poorer and poorer the further back we look. So we need to combine lots of different tools and intensive interrogate, uh, intensively interrogate the samples that we have available to translate the rock record into a picture of what the earth used to look like. I, I don't know about you, but I'm reading through this article and I'm amazed of this unbelievable picture that they're trying to paint of 2.5 billion years ago. Now, I don't know about you, but I wasn't there. I can't, I don't have a clue. But I don't know, when you start considering some rocks in Hudson Bay, and you look at a rock, and you can surmise from a rock, and supposedly the oxygen levels that existed 2.5 million years ago versus 2.4 billion years ago. I mean, I'm just telling you, I don't know about you, but I don't know that I'm that gullible. Now somebody says, well, these are scientists. 
I think they fall right in the character of science falsely so-called. I, I don't know. You can go ahead and say that I'm, I'm anti-science. I am not anti-science by any stretch of the imagination. We'd be foolish not to take the things we learn from science and apply them to our lives. There's so many wonderful advancements we've made as a result of science. But my friend, I'm going to tell you something. Anytime science goes contrary to the word of God, it is science falsely so-called. I'll tell you what, there is a mass die-off event. That, that Crawford didn't mention that affected the oxygen level significantly and almost brought the human race to extinction. It's called the flood. And it happened 4,300 years ago. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science so-called, falsely so-called, which some professing have heard concerning the faith. Grace be with thee, amen. On August the 22nd, 2018, there was an article that was entitled, Scientists Confirm Crystal as Oldest Piece of Earth's Crust. Sarah Pruitt wrote this article, and she goes on to say, researchers have confirmed that a tiny gem found in Western Australia is the oldest known piece of Earth, dating back some 4.4 billion years. Their findings, published this weekend in the journal, uh, the journal Nature uh, Geoscience, confirmed that the crystals were in fact formed some 4.4 billion years ago, only 100 million years after Earth itself formed in a molten ball of rock. Measuring only 200 by 400 microns, about twice the diameter of a human hair, the crystals might not look like much to the naked eye, but their advanced age strongly suggests that Earth may have formed a continental crust much earlier than scientists previously believed. If this is true, and temperatures were low enough, once the crust formed, the planet might have been able to sustain liquid water at its surface, and maybe even to sustain life far earlier than previously thought. Are you hearing the terms we're being thrown around? As Valley told uh, Reuters, we have no evidence that life existed then. We have no evidence that it didn't. But there's no reason why life could not have existed on earth 4.3 billion years ago. You know what? It's pretty impressive how scientists are able to create this detailed picture of earth 4 billion years ago. You know, I, 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 I don't know about you, but I'm extremely disturbed by it. And you say, why are you so disturbed by it? I'll tell you why. Because there is a generation that has bought into the lies that science is, 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 is sharing. Science without God. Science without the Bible. Science without truth. Or so-called science. I want to debunk the idea that it's even science that's being uh, uh, exert, exhibited here. Science by definition is this. Deal, science by definition deals with what can be observed, tested, measured, and investigated by empirical means. That's what science is. Therefore, scientific data, by definition, are facts that can be demonstrated by controlled and repeatable experiments that always yield consistent, consistent results then. Now, I, can believe, I, I believe that we can pretty much all agree that the beginning of the universe, by its very nature, falls outside the realm of scientific investigation. I don't think anybody's going to observe that. I don't think anybody was there. 
I mean, you can go ahead and we can, we can mix it up any way we want. We can turn it on its side. We can flip it upside down. But I'm going to tell you something. For somebody to tell me what took place 4.4 billion years ago because they found a little crystal and somehow believe that it has some kind of oxygen level or some kind of, 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 some kind of genetic mark that says it was created, that it came into existence right after molten uh, rock turned into the earth. I'm going to tell you something. I don't have much faith in that. Maybe you do, but I don't. I'm sorry. I just can't wrap my mind around something that happened 4.4 billion years ago. I'm just kind of wondering, where did that molten rock come from? And yet there are so many scientists that disregard the reality of what science is and their own definition. Jerry Coyne is known for publicly criticizing religion. He's often cited with atheists such as Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris. He's the author of the book Faith Versus Fact, Why Science and Religion Are Incompatible. He sums up biological evolution succinctly by saying this. He says, life on earth evolved gradually beginning with one primitive species, perhaps a self-replicating molecule, perhaps, perhaps, Perhaps a self-replicating molecule that lived more than 3.5 billion years ago. It then branched out over time, throwing off many new and diverse species. And the mechanism for most, but not all, of evolutionary change is natural selection. I'm going to tell you something. I'm just going to make a statement. I'm not trying to make enemies. I'm not going to stand and argue or debate this with you. But I'm going to tell you, I'm not understanding why we're so worried about global warming if the strong survive and it makes us better in the end when the weak die off. Isn't that part of evolution? The strong survive? Maybe the earth wants us to go into another direction. You say, that's not funny. I didn't mean it to be funny. It's pitiful. That's the mentality of the, of the evolutionist. The strong survive. The weak die off. It's a natural thing. It's how it's supposed to work. Well, then let's start exercising it. But we won't do that. Richard Lewontin, he's a research professor at Harvard. He's an American evolutionary biologist, mathematician, geneticist, geneticist and social commentator. He made these statements. It is time for students of the evolutionary process, especially those who have been misquoted and used by the creationists, to state clearly that evolution is a fact, not theory. All present forms of life arose from ancestral forms that were different. Birds arose from non-birds and humans from non-humans. You serious? Right, okay. No person who pretends to have any understanding of the natural world can deny these facts. Then there's Richard Dawkins. He is the renowned atheist. He's a, he's a renowned atheist. I mean, you, you probably have heard of him. If not, I'm telling you, he, he has made statements. He is well known. He is renowned. And he is an evolutionary biologist. And he's made these statements. He said, here is what separates real scientists from the pseudoscientists of the school of intelligent design. One thing all real scientists agree upon is the fact of evolution itself. So you're not a real scientist if you disagree with him. It is a fact that we are cousins of gorillas, kangaroos, starfish, and bacteria. 
Evolution is as much a fact as the heat of the sun. It is not a theory, and for pity's sake, let's stop confusing the philosophically naive by calling it so. Evolution is a fact. I'm going to tell you something. That's what they're teaching your children in schools. That's what they're teaching our culture through the television and through media sources. I'm telling you, that's what the the media is giving us full, uh, just spoon-fed. Evolution is fact. It is fact. 4.4 billion years, 4.3 billion years, 2.5 billion years. All of these things, evidence of the fact of evolution. I could pick up a piece of paper or something and throw it into some some kind of scanner or something and say, boy, that paper came from a tree that was 2.3 billion years ago into existence. Oh, the, 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 not the tree itself, but the very roots and the system by which it was formed. I can go way back. You can't go way back. You don't know any different. It's ridiculous. This is science falsely so-called. So-called. It's interesting that their theory of evolution cannot be observed. It can't be reproduced. It can only be embraced and believed by one thing. Faith. Faith. Richard Dawkins, he, he, Richard Dawkins again, he, he speaks up. He's an interesting character. Um, but to think that these brilliant minds run into this roadblock that science itself has established and yet they won't admit it, it boggles my mind. They can't, again, create experiments that can be controlled or repeated in any way or that have consistent results Their position on the origin of the earth is simply a theory. Therefore, they cannot speak with any true authority about when the universe began, how it came came into being, or how life originated on earth. There's no way, because it's not science. Yet Richard Dawkins boldly asserts that Bible believers are the ones who are ignorant of the truth. He makes this statement. He says, it is absolutely safe to say that if you meet somebody who claims not to believe in evolution, that person is ignorant, stupid, or insane, or wicked, but I'd rather not consider that. I don't know about you, but if, you know, we talk about how words are offensive. If I was going to be offended, which I'm not because I expect it out of an unbeliever. He's a professed atheist. But if I was to be, uh, take offense to something, I think I would be taking offense to the fact that he called me ignorant, stupid, and insane. And even particularly, or possibly wicked. All because I don't agree with him on his position on evolution. So this is the way that highly evolved human beings respond to those who are not in agreement with their opinions then. How inconsistent. Again, because their theory of evolution cannot be observed or reproduced, it can only be embraced by one thing, and that is faith. See, the truth is that every evolutionist stands firmly on the same ground that you and I stand on this morning. Faith. The truth is that they have their faith. They just despise yours and mine. Well, they got their faith. They just don't like my faith. 1 Timothy says, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. Again, the apostle is pointing out that there are those who have brought into the, uh, 
who have bought into this misinformation. Information that's being paraded as being fact. That there is knowledge out there that exists in contradiction to the word of God. And some have bought into that lie. And Timothy specifically is being warned in the passage to place in safe storage the truth that has been entrusted into his watch care. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. And he's told, you better be careful. I've entrusted this truth into your hands. I've extended it to you. Receive it and protect it with all your heart. And he is admonished to avoid, not just reject, but to avoid profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called. Now we say, what does that mean, profane and vain babblings? Well, the word profane means irreverent to anything sacred. The word vain has to do with being empty, worthless, having no substance, value, or importance. Babbling, it it means talking idly or simply foolish talk, if you will. So he's being told by the apostle, he's being told, avoid words or speech that is irreverent toward the sacred and is foolish and has no substance, value, or importance. Avoid it. Don't just reject it, but avoid it. Don't allow yourself to be, be immersed with it, to be, to be saturated by it. Don't listen to it consistently and continually. Man, you've got to be careful even how much of this junk you read, how much of it you allow in your heart and your mind. Avoid it, he says. And then he goes on to say, avoid oppositions of science, falsely so-called. See, the word science in the passage bears um, the meaning of knowledge. And some will debate it. You know, you can look at different versions and they'll go, well, that word, should, that word should be knowledge. It shouldn't be science and all that. Hey, listen, God knew what he was doing in the King James Bible when he put the word science there. Because let me tell you what, those that think they corner the market on knowledge are scientists. And boy, I tell you what, that word alerts us to what we need to be watching for and being concerned about. And I'm telling you what, you read articles from scientists that tell you that kind of stuff that we just read, my friend, there ought to be a red flag that pops up in your mind and says, has anybody, has anybody considered what God says? The word science bears the meaning of knowledge. And science today would say again that they corner the market on that particular stuff. And he says, avoid knowledge, Timothy, that stands in opposition to scripturally declared truth. If it does not align itself with the word of God, then you avoid it. And he goes on to say, any knowledge that opposes the word of God is no knowledge at all and is knowledge falsely so-called. It's not real knowledge. And so Paul, in essence, is saying to Timothy, his son in the faith, he's saying, I have entrusted the truth, this word into your watch care, these principles into your watch care, these statutes into your watch care, and you need to be very careful not to allow anyone or anything to disturb, diminish, dissect, divide, dilute, or destroy the truth. You better be careful, Timothy. You've got to avoid the irreverent and foolish teachings that masquerade as real knowledge, but are really science falsely so-called. If their position, their perspectives, their pretenses are rooted in anything other than the biblical truth, the word of God, they're not truth at all. 
Sadly, the Apostle Paul mentions that there have been many that have been deceived or even departed from the faith as a result of this science falsely so-called, these profane and vain babblings. You know, there's, again, there's much we can learn from science. I, I'm not going to debate that. I wouldn't argue it. To discard it completely would be irresponsible. It would be, even be foolish. But when science rejects the clear revelation of Scripture, then science is wrong and the Bible is right. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science, falsely so-called, which some professing have heard concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. I don't know, but i got to believe that the onslaught of this false information does take its toll on our young people and even those of my age and older. People with PhDs and master's degrees and all kinds of credentials stand up and tell us that we are foolish and ignorant because we believe in an archaic book when they have new information. Do you realize that back in the 1980s, you would have never found a book saying something brand new learned in the last hundred years concerning evolution? You wouldn't have found a book about something new being found on evolution in the 1980s because for a hundred years, there wasn't one new thing they could come up with. It was all the same old, same old stuff being peddled over and over and repackaged over and over. And I'm going to tell you something. There is nothing foundationally sound about evolution at all. It is simply a faith in a theory. It is not fact anymore, as he would say, as the heat of the sun. No, it's not like the heat of the sun. It's his perspective. It's his position. So what are we going to do about it? What are we to do? I'm going to give you four simple things real fast. Father, I ask, Lord, you'd bless us now in these next few minutes. Be glorified. We thank you. We'll praise you. May we be more assured in the word and more steady in your truths. May we not allow ourselves to be tossed to and fro with every wind and wave of doctrine. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. First, expect opposition. Expect some opposition. You know, there's a number of individuals, groups, and even cultural movements in our modern times that are anti-Christian. Let's just be honest. We know they exist. We're very aware of them. And that, what that means then is that they actively seek to attack, to undermine, maybe even to denigrate the Christian faith. And they will try to do anything they can to deceive the public about the nature of Christianity, about its history, its heritage, and its accomplishments. I mean, we're amazed, aren't we, at times, when we hear what the world's saying about Christianity. When we hear there are resolutions being passed by government officials now out on the West Coast stating that Christianity is the reason why people are committing suicide, why Christianity is the reason why our culture is going the direction it is, why Christianity is the culprit for why there's so much hatred in the world. And we sit in amazement and think Jesus Christ taught us to love and we're seeking to love everybody and yet they claim that we're the ones that hate. Why is that a, such a surprise to you? Why am I shocked at times to read what I read in the media and in that which the world shares? Why is that such a concern even in one sense? It's a concern because it affects our ability, obviously, to freely share and propagate the gospel. But my, I am expecting it, aren't you? Jesus warned about this. He told us that that would be the case. Turn to John 15, verse 18. John chapter 15, verse 18. And if there is somebody in the audience that's going into science, my friend, you go into science and you learn it well, but don't you throw out the word of God. 
Don't give up on the God that gave you life. Don't disregard the fact that there is a creator. It's an amazing thing. Back in the 1800s, 1700s and before, for the most part, almost exclusively, even scientists believed in the creator God. We just got so smart and we evolved so much that we figured out we didn't have him anymore. He doesn't exist. We didn't have to obey him any longer because he doesn't, he does not there really. We're that smart. We got rid of God. John 15, 18 through 20 says, the expect opposition is going to happen. Jesus said, if the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. You say, why are they so nasty? Why are they so mean? How come they're so vindictive sometimes? Because they hate us. They hate what we stand for. They hate who we believe in. They hate that we have a set of rules and standards written out in the word of God that say there's some things that never change. They don't like that because they want to write their rules. And we keep saying you can't rewrite the book. You can't rewrite, you can't rewrite humanity. God has already distinguished and, to, and outlined what God wants for humanity. And they hate that trying to rewrite what marriage is. They're trying to rewrite what, what gender is. They're trying to rewrite everything today. My friend, there's no rewriting what God has put in stone. And yet that's why we're so hated and despised because we stand between them and their objectives. He goes on to say, if ye were of the world, the world would love his own, but because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. We don't talk much about these things today. Remember the word that I said unto you? He goes, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my sayings, they will keep yours also. Boy, it's important that we understand we can expect opposition. That way we're not floored by it when it happens. That way we can at least face it and go, you know what, I expected that. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, I'm not nearly caught off guard. I'm not nearly as quick to respond in a negative light when I'm expecting it. Listen, you throw a punch at me when I'm looking at you and expecting it, it's totally different. I'll react totally different than if my back's to you and you sucker punch me. So you better be ready for the punch that's coming from the world when it comes to this science falsely so-called. You better be ready when people are going to say negative things about your faith, negative things about you as a person, when they're going to go ahead and attach a horrible uh, uh, commentary to you, your life, and your beliefs, simply because you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, my friend, be ready for it so that when you do take that hit or when you do receive that, you're expecting it and you can respond as Jesus did in love. You get caught off guard, you just might lip off. You just might say some things you'll regret. You just might respond like toward them the way they responded to you. And may I say, just because somebody believes what you don't believe, because somebody embraces the world's philosophy, because they might believe that there is no God even, I'm going to tell you, there are some really nice people in the world that don't believe the way you and I believe. And they are good people. They're just not godly people. And it does not give us the right to treat them the way they, in many cases, not all, but in many cases, some of the authorities in those areas have responded, like scientist Hawkins did. We are not all stupid. We're not all ignorant. Some are, but not all. But they have their stupid and ignorant ones too, right? I mean, listen, people are people are people. 
But just because we believe something, that is not the determining factor as to what you are. You're allowed to believe what you want, in a sense. You are entitled to your beliefs. You will answer for your beliefs one day before God who has the right to hold you accountable for them. But not to me. I have no right to judge you on your beliefs. However, I will stand on the Word of God. And unfortunately today, that doesn't seem to be a very popular place. Expect opposition. Number two, pursue truth. Pursue truth. Proverbs 1, 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. There is one place that you and I have to start on our quest for knowledge. That's God's word. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. If you start anywhere else seeking knowledge, my friend, you come up with the wrong answers. You have to begin at God and his word. That's where it begins. Hey, listen, there are brilliant men and women that are digging into the, 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 the world. They look at certain uh, 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 samples. They, they, they are able to take um, different methods and, and research things in ways that I couldn't even imagine. And that is not all wrong by any stretch of the imagination. But when they begin somewhere other than on the foundation of the Word of God, they're going to come up with the wrong solution. The, the truth is, is we all have the facts, for the most part, if there are any that exist. The difference is, what do, I, how, what do I view them through? Do I view them through my humanity, my own opinion, my own ideas and philosophies? Or do I view them through the Word of God? This, if this is my filter, I come to the proper answer when I see the facts. If I do not, then it comes to the wrong answer because I'm seeing them through my humanity, my carnality. My flesh. It's not really surprising that science without God continues to come up with the wrong answers. Because they do not regard God and his word as an authority or as a filter. Pursue truth though. You continue to stay in the word of God. You continue to stay faithful in the house of God. You continue to allow God and his word to saturate your life. And in doing so you will find knowledge and much more. Number three, not only expect opposition, pursue truth, but respond in love. We noted this just very briefly, but turn to Ephesians chapter four, verse 14, please. One of the great uh, <clears throat> temptations is to, to lash out at people the way they lash out at you. If somebody calls you a name, the first response in our flesh is to lash out and call them a name. If somebody hits you, the first thing you want to do is probably hit back, so to speak. You kind of respond. You knee-jerk reaction. But let me tell you something. Biblically and scripturally, we do not have a right to respond in our flesh to anybody, no matter how horrible they treat us. The reality is, is that God says to love our enemies, to do good than hate you, to pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Notice what he says here in Ephesians 4, 14 and 15 that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive. We could have taken that verse and dropped it right in pursuing truth, couldn't we? So that we're not always swayed. Oh, well, there's a new study that came out. Oh, maybe they're right after all. Maybe God's word is wrong. Maybe I should rethink my position. No, you stay strong on the word of God. I did a little, little thing. I just typed in, you know, some things, uh, things that in science that have been debunked. They just keep going. 
Things that science originally at some point thought to be true, but now they realize it's not really true at all. That happens all the time. And there are studies that are being done now that are being peddled to you and I as being fact when in reality, five years from now, ten years from now, another study will take place and they'll debunk what they said was fact. But can I tell you there's something that never changes? And that's the truth of God's word. Never changes. Let's stay firm on the word of God and then respond in love to those who do not see things the way we do or that respond to us in a negative light. Because it goes on to say, but speaking the truth in love may grow up unto him all things, which is the head, even Christ. We need to speak the truth in love. We do not have a right to take the truth out like a ball bat and start winging it around and hurting and harming people with it, trying to get our two cents in. And we need to not only live the life, yes, we need to share the truth without doubt, but we need to do it with a heart of love, a desire to see people truly help, not hurt. You're going to talk about Christians that way. Let me tell you what you are, mister. That's not how we're to respond. Expect opposition. Pursue truth. Respond in love. And finally, stand firm. Just stand firm. He says to Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. Man, I've taken this truth The word of God that was given to me, Timothy, and I have now extended them and handed them to you. Keep them in trust. Keep them close to your heart. Keep them secure. Don't allow the world to dilute those truths. Because you're going to have to pass them down to the next generation. And if you fail to do that properly before long, there'll be no truth left. We have to love, but we still have to stand. That's, it's tough. The balance is difficult at times. I mean, do I tell somebody the truth? I know it'll hurt them. There are times we have to share the truth, but how we share that truth determines whether we're right with him or not. Matthew chapter 7, turn there and we'll close. Matthew 7, 24 through 27. <clears throat> we have to stand firm. And boy, the Lord, he provides us with this unbelievable picture of it here in Matthew 7. Notice what he says here. In verse 24 of chapter 7, the book of Matthew, he says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. The picture is of one that builds his life, his belief system, his eternal future on the rock, the Lord Jesus Christ, a firm foundation, the word of God. And he or she says, I am going to build my life on the truths and the statutes and the commandments of the word of God. 
I'm going to build my life on what God's word stands for and says. I'm not going to allow the world to dictate and determine where I stand or how I stand or whether or not I stand. I'm going to stand on this book no matter what. And boy, the rains are going to come. The storm in your life will come, whether it's from others around you, whether it's internally, whether God himself permits some things into your life or not, but one way or the other, you're standing firm on the word of God and you're fixed on that word and you're not allowing anything to shake you from it. And because of that, you have answers. You have hope and you have eternal life and you know that this isn't all there is. And you come to the right conclusions because you started at the right place. But then there's that other that is building on sand. And that sand won't hold up when the storm comes. That sand will give way under their feet. They'll find themselves no longer on sturdy ground, although it may appear to be sturdy at first. That rain and those storms and the onslaught will ultimately cause that to begin to start to loosen and their feet will begin to sink. And what they thought was firm and what they thought was fact and what they thought was true won't be in the end. And they'll stand before God and give an account of what they did with Him and what they did with His Word and what they did with the truth of God. And they'll have to admit that they threw it away, that they willingly were ignorant of these things. And they'll be taken in the storm, lost forever. What are you building your life on today? Sinking sand? Or a solid rock? What dictates and determines what your priorities in life are? Sinking sand or the solid rock? What ultimately motivates and moves you in this life? What leads you and lends you to what you do and what you believe and what you say? Is it the, the solid rock, the Lord Jesus and the Word of God? Or is it simply sinking sand? How do you invest your finances How do you invest your energy? How do you invest your time? Is it based on sinking sand or the solid rock in the truth of God's word? It's funny how we can look at the world today and we can even look at certain particular science and certain beliefs of scientists, certain theories and certain systems of belief and we can look at them and say they're foolish. They're not lining themselves up with the word of God. They're, They're being unrealistic in how they're coming to their conclusions. They're seeing things all upside down. And yet we do the same thing. And yet we say he lives in us. And yet we'll disregard God's word. We'll disregard his truths if it doesn't conveniently fit into our life. If it's not comfortable for our existence. We'll disregard it and say, well, I'm not going to apply that truth. I'm not going to live according to that reality. I'm going to go ahead and jump back on some sinking sand for a while. Now, you don't think it's sinking at the time because it feels pretty sturdy under your feet. But my friend, I promise you, if it's not built on this solid rock, the Lord Jesus and the word of God, you will find it sinks. It won't stand the test of time. May God help us. I don't know. Do you know Christ is your savior today? 
Can you say beyond a shadow of a doubt, I know that I know that I know that if I died, I'd be in heaven today, not because I'm good enough, not because I have something to offer a holy God, but because simply I've trusted in Jesus, his son, who lived a sinless, perfect life for me. And I'm putting my faith in him and I'm trusting him, not only to wash me clean, but to take me to heaven one day. Only Jesus, only Jesus am I trusting in. Or would you say, I can't say that for sure. I've never settled that. I don't know that I believe everything that people say. I don't know that I even believe in evolution. I do believe there's a God in heaven. But have you taken the time to put your personal faith and trust in his son, who is the only way, the only truth, and the only life? Maybe you've never been saved. You've never trusted Christ. You've never settled your eternal soul salvation. You couldn't say, I know for sure heaven's my home one day. I want you to know you can know that before you leave today. Because once again, this is a firm foundation and it's true. It's hold true, not just today, not just tomorrow, but for eternity. And there are promises in this book, the word of God, that can give you comfort and confidence that your soul is settled that your eternal life is secure in Christ. Trust him today. Don't don't stand and live your life on sinking sand. Build it on the solid rock. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. Avoid profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. May we not err. May we not fall. May we stand for him and his truth and his word. Father, we thank you again for all you do for us. We need you now today. We just pray, Lord, if there be any that are without Jesus Christ, that they would settle their soul salvation, that they would consciously choose to receive and accept Jesus and knowing and understanding that he only can save them. It won't be turning over a new leaf. It won't be doing a good deed. It won't even be going to church or reading their Bible and praying. It'll simply be Jesus Christ. And anything else that they do will just be simply out of a gratitude and a thankfulness for what you've already done. Oh, help us to realize that Jesus is the way, the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Lord, for the believer today, may we not be as guilty as those that sometimes we so easily can point out as being an error. But may we stand firmly on this book too, even when it's uncomfortable and inconvenient. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand.